Welcome to Multiverse OQ, your guide to the comic book multiverse, now in podcast form. I'm Luke, and this week, as we cover Iron Man Noir, our pin ultimate different series that isn't just a sequel that we're covering, I have on a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. Uh, my name is Dominic Griffin, and I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, for people who are unfamiliar with you just by your name, what is some of the stuff that you do? Uh, I guess I'm mostly like a film critic. I mean, I write about lots of stuff on the internet. Um, I write about TV and music and um, comics as well, obviously. But I think that the thing that most people probably know me from is I, I write movie reviews. Um, I started out at uh, deadshirt.net, RIP, site uh, ended recently. Uh, mm-hmm. But mostly of what I do now is for a, a local paper called the Baltimore Beat. I, I really enjoy your reviews. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got you in to talk about Iron Man Noir, which was a four issue miniseries once again set on Earth 90214. And this one is interesting because it was written by Scott Snyder, who's been doing a very well, well, well regarded run on Batman for like five years now. Yeah, since like 2011, basically. Yeah, so that's seven years about at this point yeah with pencils by manuel garcia inks by lorenzo ruggiero colors by marta martinez and letters by dave sharp and i'm pretty sure by this point i've talked about some of the other uh stories not really being noir and i think this is the most non-noir that it's been yeah i think that uh you know i i read i read some of these when they originally came out like just because you know uh, i i'm a I'm a huge fan of actual noir, like uh, like noir films and like, you know, uh, different crime novels and stuff that fit into the, the sort of genre. And uh, almost none of them really. I, I, I feel like, you know, I don't know what the editorial, I don't know how this came about necessarily, like, but I feel like the entire excursion was sort of like, we'll do noir and like a couple of Marvel characters you can do cool noir stuff with. And then for the rest, it was just like, It'll just be old. It'll just be like the forties. Like that's like the forties isn't a genre. Like it's a period. Um, and I really feel like, I guess, you know, Scott Snyder's take here is, you know, it's more pulpy, you know, it's supposed to be sort of like old adventure serials and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't even know if it really gets that right. No, it, it, it's definitely more pulp. I, I think the only like real, full noir that get both style and setting have been like Luke Cage noir and Wolverine noir. Yeah. And those are two characters who like are kind of tailor made for doing that because most of their solo adventures have a pretty noir like structure to begin with. Like every Wolverine story is pretty much just like a private eye novel, but instead of gangsters, there's usually ninjas and instead of a gun, it's just his, his meat claws. So, um, like those make sense to me. Like if you were if you were to go, what Marvel characters would you use for a noir story? I would name those. If I named Iron Man as like a challenge, like a sort of like, oh, that's like a left field one. I get how you how you wind up with like fake Indiana Jones, but like it just doesn't. It. I mean, I think the comic is fun. I, I don't want to. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I sound kind of negative on it, and it's not like it wasn't like a bad reading experience, but. It's definitely weird to pick up something where the cover is like Iron Man Noir and then you open it up and it's just like weird, pulpy. It's it's very meta, too, I think. And um, if this had been like a like a one shot or like a 
something a little bit shorter, I think it would be cool, like how meta it's supposed to be. But I really feel like for a four issue miniseries, there's just not enough here to really like uh, to, to to really generate much engagement throughout the whole story. It's very like it's hard it's hard to put into words, but I really feel like Scott Snyder like this is like kind of like his you know like before I guess he really sort of hit his like boom period, right? Like this is like before he really started mm-hmm. taking off at DC. So this is still that period where every Scott Snyder comic is like really really heavily about fathers and sons. And the main character, like 90% of their narration is just stuff his dad told him. You know, it's just like, ah, I remember my dad told me this. And it's like, it's fucking great. We get it. Um, And, uh, you know, it seems like a weird commentary on the Iron Man mythology just placed in the 40s. You know, because... Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to get, like, the plot first before I start just, like, randomly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's get into that. Because we start off in 1938 in British Honduras, where Tony Stark and his party, which consists of James Rode, his partner, and the guy who knows about animals, uh, Dr. Gileta Nefaria, who is his ex and is a fellow researcher and assistant, and Virgil Muncy, who is the chronicler for Marvels, a magazine of men's adventure, who is also our initial narrator, have found what may be the uh, like path to the Fountain of Youth. And the four of them fall into a pit when Tony activates this uh, hidden temple that they find. And Tony goes into the water, fights and kills a big snake. And eventually they reach this temple of rebirth with a legendary jade mask, which like Tony tries it on and it does nothing. And that's when we find out that Nefaria, unsurprisingly being a woman whose name is Nefaria, because she's also the alternate universe version of Madame Mask, uh, has like come to betray him. And so like as the Nazis show up, Dr. Heinrich Zemo and Commander Baron Strucker, uh, they show up killing Virgil off, which like suddenly ends his narration in a very good moment that I think Snyder's used in other places. Yeah, I did think that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like things suddenly intensify and Nefari puts on the mask, but then Tony swings off, sets off a bunch of explosives because there's a highly explosive fungus in the cave and he and Rhodey swing off uh, as they like cause the temple and cave to cave in. There is a opening into what I believe is a lake where he and Rhodey suddenly find two attractive women and a boat that rescue them. And that's like the opening scene. Yeah, it's it. it even from like from jump, it's like kind of it's like partially a cool premise. The idea that like Tony is like this adventurer and goes out and does like, you know, uh, like quartermain style shit, I guess. But like uh, I thought it was a little bit weird to make Rhodey like this, like what seems like almost like a wildlife expert. It just seems like a weird choice mm-hmm. um, as though in the research for this book, Snyder like discovered a bunch of cool facts about zoology and someone had to say those lines of dialogue. <laughs> Why not James Rhodes? Uh, or or they needed a smart guy on the team if Tony's going to be the adventurous yeah. one. Like the guy who's the put-upon best yeah, friend. Yeah, which I thought was very strange because, like, you know, um, if in most Iron Man stories, Tony's, like, insufferably intelligent, right? That's, like, his whole thing is he's like, mm-hmm. such a futurist and a genius. And in here, it's like, Tony's dad was really smart, uh, Jarvis, who we meet later, is really smart. 
James is really smart, and like Tony's just like this weird rich guy with a death wish, and like uh, if you really strip away all those other elements of his character and you just leave that, he's like really uninteresting as a protagonist. Uh, and he's a complete yeah, dick. and like Iron Man's always a dick, but it's like he's a dick, but hey, he can build like ships and suits of armor and cool stuff. Here it's just like. Oh, he's just like kind of an asshole. He's like not even likable or funny or, or relatable. He's just he he just he seems like a cardboard cutout of the cover of a pulp magazine. You know what I mean? Like, there's not much else to him. And I don't, I don't yeah. understand that the point of that. And he's not really like over the top enough for it to be fun. Yeah, if they like really made him, he doesn't get any moments. It's not like a Saxon Hale in the Team Fortress Two comics. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like this sort of bland like I don't know it's it, it, you know it feels like a characterization of Iron Man that is based upon someone telling you about Iron Man not you like really reading a lot of Iron Man comics it's just sort of like oh yeah he's like he's a mustache uh, and he's rich and he's like an asshole and it's like that's not no one would actually read that all the time <laughs> it's, yeah. that wouldn't work um it 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 it's just a really weird take along with the whole universe like set up the way that it yeah, is yeah it's i mean i this is uh i haven't revisited many of the other noir stories other than listening to the episodes of the podcast about them but like, i haven't really read them myself and uh the thing that really really threw me was just uh how like lazy some of the you know part of the fun of reading like a an elseworld style comic or like a what if or whatever is you know the writer gets to find like fun ways to bring in things, you know, in new different ways or whatever. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this doesn't really, all, all of the different ways things are referenced or brought up are like so boring, <laughs> you know, there's nothing where you're like, that's kind of cool. It's like, Oh, okay. I guess, I guess Namor is a pirate. <laughs> like, okay. It, 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 it feel, it feels a bit more like they're trying to fit, characters to the pieces that they need as opposed to coming up with interesting spins on the characters yeah like uh the i remember thinking like i don't I, I don't know iron man lore super well like he's like not one of my personal favorites so like the the writer character who dies in the first issue like i was like is that supposed to be like happy hogan like i don't get who like, who the fuck is that guy uh and then no, nope, it, it's just it's a just dude. a dude. And then like later, uh, that's gonna have ourselves. But later, there's the thing like they go in like the little like submarine or whatever, and they're like, oh, we call this the Happy Hogan, and it's like you named a fucking ship after yeah. Iron Man's like trusty bodyguard guy, but you didn't have him be the dude at the beginning. It just seemed weird. Like it almost seemed like maybe three issues into plotting it, he remembered that Happy was a character, and was like, um, um, yeah. we'll name the sub Happy. That'll work. It's like I guess. <laughs> We named him after the dog. Yeah, it's just it's just so weird. And like I don't while you're making you know again to Indi Indiana Jones, like I don't I also don't know if uh, if the artist drew Jarvis to look like Sean Connery kind of on purpose, but it was distracting. Not like uh it wasn't like <laughs> Greg Land distracting where you're like that's obviously a swimsuit yeah. model, but it was it was definitely uh I don't know I, I I sort of think that we've we've probably all gotten pretty used to Jarvis as like the uh onboard os for iron man's suit and forget you know like the actual butler character um but i think that that mm -hmm. was one of the best changes to iron man because jarvis is kind of just like a shitty version of alfred so it's good yeah. that he's not an actual butler talking to tony because we've that, that's that, that's been done 
Uh, so making him mm-hmm. having an actual person be Jarvis in this story and having him be like a close friend of Howard Starks and also like a brilliant inventor person, that's literally the relationship between Alfred and 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 Thomas Wayne. Like it just it seems so uh uh bad. And also it's funny because this is like right before he starts he embarks his like big long form Batman run. So um I don't know if maybe mm-hmm. during this he was like, oh man, I'd just rather be writing Batman. That would be more fun. Uh it just doesn't yeah, I don't know. I think that like uh the chiefest problem is that the core thing about Iron Man, like the actual his relationship with the suit that he builds and that he builds it out of like desperation and all that stuff, like that's like a really cool part of his origin. So to have him be like just a generic adventurer who has a suit of armor that like his dad and his butler built is like mm-hmm. just it just seems like a weird thing. And like it, that would be cool if you were exploring, you know, I don't know, like nepotism and like generational wealth and stuff like that. But it literally is just no, his dad made yeah. this. <laughs> like his dad made this armor and it's just going to sit around in the background of the story ominously uh, for like three issues before we actually see it in action in Iron Man Noir. Yeah. So uh, they end up returning to New York where there is a brief press conference after Virgil's memorial service and Rhodey introduces Tony to Pepper Pops, who Tony thinks is supposed to be his assistant. But it turns out she is going to be the new chronicler who was previously written as Frank Finley, which is not a reference to anything or like any actual writers. And she also like offers up the name of another writer who like was supposed to be, Oh yeah, I've heard of that guy. I can't believe he's a woman. And it's like that person isn't real either, which shouldn't be too much of a problem, except that like what the noir universe does is really, inconsistent like in punisher noir that episode is coming out on wednesday we end up like having a thing where dutch schultz shows up and he was an actual gangster which is really really weird and like i'll leave that for this one but it's like you couldn't like name drop a marvel character and be like oh no this character is also actually a woman writer or anything yeah like they easily could have made it like you know ben urich or someone or just you know something you know, or an actual mm-hmm. pulp writer. You know what I mean? Like uh, the, I think that the bit with Pepper being a, a writer who has to use a man's pen name is like kind of the coolest part of the entire story. Uh, yeah. And though like pretty soon, like as soon as she gets captured, it immediately becomes a torn shirt. Yeah. yeah she totally becomes like a girl in Jeopardy. Pretty. Like, <laughs> which is like the easiest sort of like mm-hmm. second act, you know, development there, there, there can possibly be. Um, but I, I, I remember, you, you know, sometimes you'll read something and like, you know, it's not that great because there's elements of it that remind you of other things that did that better. And like the last thing you want when you're in a story mm-hmm. is to be reminded that you can be reading a better story. Uh, and the yeah. minute this stuff happened with Pepper and the whole explanation of her using a pen name, I was just like, Oh, this is like that really cool episode of DS nine where like, they're all, you know, sci-fi writers in the fifties. And I was like, man, I could be watching DS nine right now. (laughs) And like, that's not a thing you want to happen when you're reading something, right? Like you want to be engrossed in the story and you want to be like, you know, really into it. Um, I think that the, the relationship between Tony and Pepper, like once she's introduced is probably the closest thing to feeling like an actual Iron Man comic. Uh, because like their Mm -hmm. relationship is always one of the most interesting things in that book. And like, 
that's the part of it here that's that reads the most uh authentically i think like their interactions and their rapport and stuff is like you know not that far off from the kind of uh dynamic they have in other books um but it, it yeah you're right like it's it sort of feels like isn't this cool and progressive that we're referencing how like women used to have to use names like uh, men's names to like get published and then it's like oh but it's like she's still just gonna be like a damsel in distress exactly so tony accepts pepper's offer and then roadie and tony go to stark lab where they are greeted by jarvis in the iron man suit he guilts tony over the cost of his adventures because tony is a reckless jerk they help to recharge Tony's heart, which they never explain, which it's like, I, I get that it's part of the Iron Man story, but I don't understand why it is a thing here. Yeah, it's sort of it's it, you're right. It's like one of the core things about Iron Man, you know, is like he has this fucked up heart situation, but like we don't see it happening. You know, like it's not like it would have been cool if this was mm-hmm. like a thing that happened in the first adventure we watched, like this dude dies and his heart gets fucked up. So, that you know, it's established, but instead it's just, no, he just, his heart's just weird. We don't really, it's not explained very articulately. And then uh, there's no, there's no, it, it's just that like what they jumpstart it like a car every few adventures he goes on. That's, that's what I had gathered. Like a lot of this stuff is just not well developed well, at it's, all. Especially considering that like of the characters that they're grafting to this sort of noir pulpy throwback world, Iron Man is the one that's like the most tied to like technology and like the sci-fi element. So it's weird that like that's the stuff that's like the least fleshed out here. I mean, even more so once I think the thing that really uh, disappointed me the most was like there. It's not that this is like completely ill-conceived where every piece is like totally wrong. They're all like close to being right. You know, like introducing Mm -hmm. like a sort of like almost a steampunky version of his heart problem is cool and if you would actually flesh it out like that would be fascinating you know oh hey in in the pulp world tony wouldn't have an arc reactor he'd have to like put jumper cables into his chest uh but it never goes beyond that and maybe if they did more about he's trying to find some of these artifacts because he wants to find a cure but that's not really and like i sort of thought that's what was happening because you know uh that would make sense they mentioned the freaking yeah. Like, it's it's it, the the story instead of it being like Tony has this thing happen to him and this thing uh, motivates him to go on more dangerous adventures changes. Him. It's just yeah. like he's when we meet him, he's already going on dangerous adventures. He's already just like mm-hmm. uh, a, a wild, ridiculous person. And it's not until like the third issue that anyone references the fact that he wasn't always that way. Yeah, it it feels like a sequel for a like. First movie that is not well defined. Or yeah, like the at suit all. is just kind of there in the background. The heart thing has just already happened. It's mm-hmm. it's it's like it's, we're taking for granted the fact that he is this reckless, you know, near death wish level, uh, you know, rich person. But there's no drama from it. It just is how he is, um, mm-hmm. and that's just not interesting. He just seems like an asshole. Like he gets someone killed in his first mission. And it's a mission for, like, a fucking mask. And it doesn't, like, the importance of it is never really established. It's just kind of like this thing. Uh, and when people are like, yeah, hey, you got a guy killed. He's like, yeah, I know. Don't remind me. I've had a really bad day. It's like, well, but, <laughs> like, if he showed, like, remorse because he was yeah. in search of healing himself and then he got someone else killed in the process, that's fascinating. But just having a dude be like, I just like going on adventures because I'm rich, man. And, like, my dad 
is crazy because of PTSD from World War One, and that's just me. Okay, like that's what I do. That's not interesting. That's just like mm-hmm. uh, he's just he's almost like a weirdo sociopath. Okay, so I've got a pitch for you that would be okay. so much better. Let me know what you think. Crank as a noir film for Iron oh, Man. Yeah, noir. no, that would be way better uh, because. This the the, the yeah. setup they have in this story is essentially crank, but like stupid and slow. Like Iron Man Noir's central conceit yeah. is to crank what like a movie about riding a bus would be to speed. Like it's like a similar idea, you know. Like it's like mm-hmm. oh, there's a bomb on this bus. We're just gonna ride the bus. <laughs> like this bomb might go off. That would suck. But like whatever. Yeah. You know, you need like the element of uh, urgency and like and like drama. And here it's not. It's just like. Uh, you're dying, kind of, but we'll electroshock you, and that'll work, sort of. Uh, stop doing this. It just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Or you, like, a better thing would be, he's working on the suit, he gets shot, and part of the suit gets stolen. He has to track down who stole it, because he only has so much time before yeah, his heart yeah. gives out. And he has to go and rely on people who he's been a jerk to in the past. Some of the people are willing to work with him. Some of the people are secretly conspiring to make sure that he dies. And there you've got a fucking better story. And it took me like five minutes to figure that out. This isn't bad in like a disastrous, this is a shitty comic way. It's like, it feels like a, uh, it really feels like the first draft of a pitch that no one bothered to polish. Mm -hmm. A lot of the noir stories have felt like that, like Punisher Noir and some of the others. They need better drafts and they need people who I I'm going to say this and it's going to sound like a jerk thing to say, but they need people who actually want to write the story and who aren't just being handed yeah, the I story mean, to write. Yeah, I, I can't speak to the other ones because I don't remember them as well, but like reading this, this like this is below anything else I think Scott Snyder was doing around the time. And I don't think that's because he was like yeah. suddenly temporarily a crappy writer. It's just clear that like he's not as drawn to the material. I don't think he's as inspired. And I think it just kind of shows, which is sad because like, the art's pretty okay. Like it's not, you know, it's not burning the world on fire or anything, but like mm-hmm. it fits the tone of the, of the time and stuff. Um, yeah. And it, it's not just doing photo and yeah, it feels like it still feels like a comic it still feels i think my beef with the story overall is like it feels like you're trying to make an adventure serial about adventure serials and like pulp magazines because there's like this ongoing mm-hmm. thing about tony talking about the difference between uh the adventures that people read about like that you know the guy wrote for him in the marvels magazine versus what he's really doing uh mm-hmm. and that's interesting it would be interesting if we were shown the adventures stylized first, right? Like if we were shown like what that, what that story yeah. must have been like to read for a reader versus what it was like for Tony to live. And instead we're actually like, just watching the real story happen. Like, we have no idea. It's not like the, the narration, the captions is drastically different than what we're seeing. You know, it's just, it's like a, a pulp story, except that most of it is, people standing around talking about how Tony's a dick. Um, what, what, what if like the story had started with the pulp adventure version of the story and it abruptly like cuts off there. And we see that Tony is like affected by the loss 
like that would have been so much better but yeah let yeah well yeah 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 that death like when the writer dies if that like uh narration interruption had happened in a panel like with the story we were reading and then we saw the real thing and see him dead like that would have been cooler too but it's like it, it it wants to kind of wrestle with ideas of the difference between like real lived life versus uh sort of sensationalized you know uh like it was essentially like almost like a like a tabloid type thing because again most pulp stories like there's not an element where someone goes on these adventures and someone else writes about them like other than like i guess you know, sherlock holmes is kind of like that but like uh here it's like tony's a famous person who goes on adventures and the people read about his famous adventures uh so the idea that there's this other sensationalized version of what he does doesn't feel like an actual pulp story it feels like paparazzi yeah. or something and i don't i don't fully get that either i think the biggest part of the problem is that the only parts of the actual story that feel like pulp moments is any moment the nazis mm-hmm. show up like the because mo- yeah. there's like a couple of moments plot wise like in the first issue when like zemo and strucker show up and then when they show up for the Atlantis part, like those moments feel like something out of like a pulp, yeah. right? But then everything surrounding it is just people standing around talking. There's multiple pages of just, you know, little two shots of people, you know, explaining things that we could be seeing. And it's just kind of, it's just drab. Like any of these things could have had like just swashbuckling yeah, flashbacks. They, they've, and instead it's just Tony being like, oh yeah, my dad, this happened to me. And da, 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 da. you're like, they, they've cares. got a freaking cover that had Modoc on it and we don't get a Modoc, but let's, let's finish up recap the story. <laughs> so uh, Tony gets to talk about how, even though he thinks that people want adventures, it may not be what they need. That night at home, he ends up drinking and stumbles across a file in the fairy's desk. And he calls Rhodey because it turns out she was hiding notes on how to get to Atlantis. So Tony, Rhodey, and Pepper set off to Spain with Pepper narrating now as they are sailing on the Lady Dorma reference, which is owned by Captain Namor, a.k.a. the Blood Mariner, which is a pretty baller name. And like Pepper is confused because his boat is just this really shitty dinghy and he's supposed to be this famous pirate. There's a neat thing where like all the members of his crew have their ears cut like sharks, which is a callback to the Namor ear thing. But yeah, Namor doesn't really lead to as many neat places as I'd like. I mean, the fact that they link up with Captain Namor in a ship to go explore Atlantis, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Namor's going to end up being like a huge. Nah, he's just there. He's just like their ride. And he is like a, <laughs> he is like a escape back up and he's sort of a dick to pepper and that's pretty much the sum of his characterization yeah him being like sexist is like the only thing they got right about mm-hmm. anymore it was just like well he uh he doesn't respect women and he has funny ears he's like a like a misogynist version of spock mm-hmm. like okay cool yeah that's nothing else nothing else to this character so pepper wants tony to tell her where they're going and tony has to adjust to this new writer because virgil the old one uh, like to be surprised by what was going on and pepper's like yeah but even virgil thought you were being really reckless and you're being a bit of an ass they get called in by namor because they're reaching their location and it's going to be in international waters and that's where we get namor being like i don't like women on my ship 
So they've been tracking Atlantis because it had a legendary level of technology, including electricity because of Orichalcum, which amplified power. And it was reportedly in this giant statue of Poseidon that had a trident. And so the trident was the Orichalcum. And eventually it caused the whirlpool that sunk Atlantis. And Pepper's like, Tony, why aren't you scared about these adventures? And he's like, my father and Jarvis were prisoners of war. My dad came back with PTSD. He'd have fits where he'd design robot suits. And then he'd tell me to go have an adventure. Which. Yeah, like until the reason comes out, it feels like they hit on that way too much. Yeah, it's it's very strange because uh, Howard Stark basically it, like, you know, it, when we think of Tony Stark, you always think of uh, whatever Howard did is always having taken place in like World War Two because like the connection to Captain America and stuff like that. And I guess that's sort of one of those like sliding scale Marvel history things. But typically you picture Howard as being from that era. Uh, and here it's like now Tony's in that era. So Howard has to be from World War One. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Howard being a prisoner of war is essentially Iron Man's actual origin. Uh, so I, I don't understand why they couldn't just cut out Howard entirely. Like you could have just made Tony having been, uh, you know, someone who was a prisoner of war, World War One, and now he's like this ridiculous, crazy rich person. But I guess it would have, it wouldn't have, age wouldn't have been right. I don't well, know. weirdly, Punisher does the same thing where it's. Frank Castle Jr.'s dad, who was the one who fought in the war, and then Frank Castle Jr. becomes a Punisher. That's weird. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that that episode is a good one, but it that comic is not good. Anyways, the next day they head down to the submarine, the Happy Hogan, and before they get too deep underwater, it starts to short out. Namor wants to return. But Tony's like, no, we're just going to keep going in. They find the ruins, go inside the temple, and they're able to get the trident. But when they ride back to the top, they find Zemo and Strucker and a horde of Nazis waiting there, along with Nefaria, who has the mask stuck to her face. Which, I, I guess, sure, it's fused on there, but it doesn't really do anything. It's just like, oh, yeah, you know, Madame Mask has a mask on her face because it got messed up. So let's let's get her a mask on her face because it's all messed up. Yeah, it was, it's pretty. I mean, uh, Madame Mask is like the laziest thing in the story. Mm-hmm. Just from the idea that Tony uh, dated a woman for a long period of time whose last name was Nefaria, and then it's shocked that she turned on him. Uh, all the way up to her being Madame Mask, but having no personality really yeah. or anything. She's just kind of there. She's just evil woman for Pepper to eventually get to fight. Yeah, exactly. So it turned out that she had set up the trap to get him to get the trident. That way they could steal it. Tony prepares something on the boat and smoke begins to rise from it. He goes to punch out Strucker, but gets knocked down and the Nazis escape with Pepper before they torpedo the Lady Dorma. Luckily, it turned out that uh, Namor had activated the real version of the Lady Dorma, which is like a futuristic submarine. I guess. Which there's no explanation for whatsoever. Yep. And once they all got into the escape sub, Tony fell unconscious, and we get a flashback to him playing with his toys, including a weird Mandarin action figure. 
and we never see what he's yeah. fighting it with. What was that about? I thought that was so weird because I'm like, there's a lot of little things in here where I'm like, did they think there was going to be an Iron Man Noir two? I don't. That they could straight like so. do all this stuff with it. Just seems pointless. There was only two of these things that got ser- sequels, and I know the X Men Noir sequel is not good. I have not read the Spider Man Noir sequel. Yeah, this is, I mean, I'm glad this one didn't get a sequel, but it's sad that they seem to think they might have. Eh, get that money if you can. But yeah, his yeah. Uh, father comes out ranting to him about something being done to his brain by the Germans and them wanting to take him back. His father begins bleeding from the nose, calms down, shows Tony some schematics, and then tells Tony to go on an adventure. Uh, Tony wakes up next in a double Zeppelin next to Brody and Jarvis. And Tony has come to the realization that he's been selfish and he's been endangering people for his own needs. And he also should probably get a cure for his heart. Rhodey reveals that he had gotten tired of Tony's shit and had actually asked Jarvis for a transfer, which was weird because I'm I'm not entirely sure what that whole relationship is supposed to be with Jarvis. Yeah, he's just he's sort of there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really serve any kind of plot point. He's not. I mean, it's like, you know, he's it's it's the laziest interpretation of Jarvis. He's like a, a, a B-level Alfred. That's like why he's there. That's it. He's a person for them to talk to. Yeah. Like, I almost I almost think it would have been more interesting if like there was just no Jarvis and like Rhodey was like the person who was more, you know, like technically inclined or something. And like or, or, it seemed weird that uh, Rhodey's like nothing like Rody, like he's not like there's no reference to being like a soldier or like a pilot or like any of these things that like have traditionally been what made Rody different than being just like Tony's black friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, here he actually really is just like Tony's black friend who knows stuff about animals, stuff about animals that like doesn't help them at any point yeah. in the story. Like I get that maybe in like the the adventures that they reference, his weird Steve Irwin skills would be uh, helpful. But they don't come up at all in this in this book. He's just I, I think that uh like the thing that bothered me the most about the entire comic is actually uh I think it's in the last issue when they're all sort of like preparing to to go back uh and, and, and save Pepper and, and get the Atlantic Tribal. the Atlantis stone yeah. the MacGuffin back. Um like that entire setup is like Tony having this like big heart to heart with Rhodey, which is supposed to be like a kind of a powerful moment. And it just ends up being Rhodey, like, saying nice things to Tony, mm-hmm. even though, like, there's nothing good about Tony so far. Like, instead of acknowledging, like, hey, man, you're reckless. You got a guy killed. Uh, nothing you do makes sense. Your, your motivations are weird. That's a problem. It's just him being like, you know what I like about you, Tony? You're just you're so brave. Uh, you're such a hero, even though you've never done anything good. And there's, like, this specific line where he's like, you even make me feel brave. And for a man of my hue, that's no tall, like, like that's a tall order. And I'm like, is this comic literally climaxing with Tony's black sidekick telling him like, thanks for making me feel brave, even though I'm black. Like what the fuck? You know what? Uh, Rudy being the animal expert made me think of what the new Jumanji movie. <laughs> I still haven't seen it, but yeah, I definitely got like vibes for like what's in the trailer. And it just seems it's like just a dumb idea. It is very good. Like, oh, oh no, no, oh, Jumanji oh. seems seems good. No, yeah, that seems oh, yeah, funny. I meant yeah, like but... this this idea. I don't want to besmirch Jumanji either film. Yep. So, 
Uh, Tony wants to go and take the Iron Man suit to get the Trident back from the Nazis at their base in Norway with Rhodey coming in with a secondary suit that they have for whatever reason. And they never even like try and call it the war machine or make any differentiation between them. Yeah, no, the closest differentiation is that one of them is named after Jarvis, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is like, uh, okay, cool, I guess. And uh, I think what's particularly annoying about this part of the story is is that like we've talked about before, like the first three issues don't really put any work into defining the issue with Tony's heart. Mm-hmm. And then the entire fourth issue is based around the fact that like he's going to like turbocharge. Yeah, he's only got like so much energy and they keep hitting on that point, but it never really leads anywhere or matters or makes him make any choices. Yeah, and it just it seems weird to in the, in the final chapter just decide okay now there's like a hard time limit on how the issue with his heart works the rest of the time it's just whatever like like if if early in the if like in the first or second issue we'd already seen the concept of like tony has to hurry up and get back to get to recharge his heart we would understand like the sort of countdown ticking time clock element Mm -hmm. but here it doesn't happen at all in the story until the very end yeah so we get a scene of nefaria who's torturing pepper for no other reason than to be evil and Zemo and Strucker are preparing to move the Trident because it's like, oh, this thing is super dangerous. And they also reveal that they killed the previous owner who may have been Thor in this universe, the previous owner of the castle that they have. And like a Thor in a war could be pretty cool. A guy who has shown up in New York City, no memory of who he is. He's got powers. People are after him. Like that's that solid noir. And I get why they didn't do it, but I also don't get why they didn't do it. I mean, I definitely think it would have been better than this. Mm-hmm. And it would, would, have, would have been better than one panel of like a skull that looks like Thor, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird. It's like, so wait, the Nazis killed actual Thor? Because it's not like, oh, we're led to believe it's a guy who maybe was Thor. It's like, no, it's like a skull with like Thor's helmet on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so actual god Thor was chilling out in a castle and he was murdered by Nazis? Like, how did that even... I don't know. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, but I guess that 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 really builds up to the the big you know uh, big reveal of the story. Yeah, we uh, get to the climax. Rhodey and Tony bust in, breaking down the walls, shooting some Nazis, and then they find that there is another version of the, uh, and they find there is another version of the suit called the Arsenal, which is the same model of suit that. Tony's father was designing because it turns out that Baron Zemo is his father, which is a good twist. Uh, I actually have to disagree. I think it's a super, super stupid fucking twist. And I want to outline why. Uh, it's really stupid because it's like clearly a twist that like you can tell Snyder was proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but like nothing sets it up. There's not any sort of like, it's just like a, I don't know. I'm, 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 one of my biggest pet peeves in like superhero comics is when you can tell that someone is just writing around a splash page reveal, but they're not really putting in any work. They're just sort of like, and then at some point I'm going to have this page, which is like literally the, the, Oh, it's your dad. It's been your dad the whole time. Uh, and like, at first I was like, this is really dumb. Cause how are you even going to explain that his father would like come around to this way of thinking? And then the actual explanation was even dumber to me than if his dad had just become a Nazi which is that like Zemo isn't even a real name. It's like an acronym for like a chemical cocktail that turns yeah. you into a mind control zombie. 
Yeah, it like burns part of their brains, making them super compliant. I just thought it was so. I thought it was so dumb. I it just it, it, like early Snyder comics all have this this uh, this thing in common that I'm not like, a big fan of, which is when you can tell that a writer came up with something that he thought was cool. And then, like, never told anyone else about it because if he did, they would have been like, oh, that's actually not cool. That sucks. And then he would have come up with something better. Instead, he just slipped in the thing he thought was really cool and no one said otherwise. Like, any it's, – it's, it's, to me, it's like the, the writing equivalent of, like, when you go out dressed like an asshole and none of your friends go, that jacket looks terrible. Mm-hmm. Except that now it's in print and it's forever. Do you have, like, any other examples of, like, the bad Snyder twist or – not, not not the twist itself. Like the twist itself, I don't. I actually don't think Snyder's bad at like in general at plot twists. I think this plot twist is dumb. But I think mm. like the notion of like Zemo being an acronym for brainwash chemicals is definitely something that like you write down on a legal pad, and then later on you realize it doesn't fit anywhere, and you move on to a better idea. But here, I don't know. So much of what Iron Man Noir, uh, what so much of what what bothers me about Iron Man Noir is that it seems like an island full of misfit toy ideas. Like it's just a bunch of stuff that's like not quite good enough stitched to other stuff. That's not quite good enough. And to me, like the fact that like the big final ace at their sleeve was, uh, Howard Stark's dad has been brainwashed by Nazis and, uh, Baron Zemo is just an acronym to me. I was just like, okay, this is, this is stupid. Um, I I think it would have fit more with a lot of the characterization that they've done with Howard Stark. If he was just like secretly a Nazi, they got rid of the stuff with him being like having PTSD and more of just do something where the war changed his personality. Yeah. And it was like he wanted to end war and this was how he chose to do it with yeah, Nazi I think mix. any of that any of that stuff would have been more interesting than just like your dad's not dead. We brainwashed him because it seems like then it it, it 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 feels like a you know sometimes supervillains and stories do things that are designed just to fuck with the hero. This seems <laughs> like that kind of move, except that whenever they would have done this, they would have had no concept that they were going to like stick it to Tony later because he's not like their arch enemy or something. He's a guy that like they end up exploiting. He's not like a, a rival, you know, like, and this feels like a big moment where it's like, wow, you guys put in all this effort to just like fuck Tony over like 15 years ago. Would you have thought that this is a thing you needed to do? I don't know. Everything about it just seems kind of like thrown together, like very first draft. It doesn't, it, it sucks too. Cause it's like, he doesn't have any kind of like cathartic moment with his relationship with his father or, or any of that stuff. It's just like, no, my dad is – it's like my dad died. No, he's really alive. Well, no, no. He basically died because you hollowed him out and used his intellect to build robots. Like, And uh, that's not even like an interesting thematic thing, the idea of – because like, it's World War II and Nazis and like you kind of think about like how after World War II, you know, uh, how scientists – like their ideology and stuff didn't matter anymore. It was just are you smart enough to help build crazy new weapons? Like, that's, like, a, a commentary thing that you could have done if the story was set, like, after the war or something. But it's mm-hmm. it's not there. It's just a – it's just – it's just, like, a – it's, like, a cheap pop. It's just, okay, that's a big twist. I guess that'll momentarily distract me from the fact that this is not that exciting. But then the fact that I got to sit through, like, the explanation for it is, like, oh, this is so dumb. I mean – the, but the actual action that follows it, the the you know once the explanation's done, 
the the ticking time clock of Tony's heart and like whether or not it's going to give out uh, is pretty cool. So like Tony's repulsor is running out of energy. He saves Pepper. Nefaria axes him in the back, but Pepper punches Nefaria out because, hey, you got your female hero punching out the female villain. And they bust out with Tony turning into a bike. So like Pepper and Rhodey are able to ride out of it. They jump onto the blimp, but they find out that there's like an entire armada with these bots inside of them. Uh, Tony heads back out, punches Strucker in the face, which doesn't kill him. It would be really good if they just killed him there. But his power's fading even more. He works to take out more Nazis, but that's when Zemo reveals that he has an entire army of arsenals. So Tony works to get the trident, activates it, and destroys the entire armada. He sinks into the ocean with like no more power, which doesn't make sense again because literally that orichalcum trident should have recharged his heart or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Namor saves him in the Lady Dorma, so like there's no actual consequences for what he did, and all the Nazis are dead. A week later, Tony announces that he's planning to slow down on exploring, and instead he wants to make the world a better place, not looking for glory, but by doing good. And we see that the new issue of Marvels has Pepper Potts credited as the writer. Yay! Yeah, I yeah, it's kind of a kind of a bland ending because like I figured at the very least we would get some sort of moment where like the Trident was going to be how he permanently fixes the issue with his heart and maybe starts to use it to power a new suit of armor or something like you know actual Iron Man shit and instead it's just kind of like this really ill-defined character change. It's like. The issue was he went on adventures for no real reason other than that he's kind of like a thrill seeker with a death wish and that he became a thrill seeker with a death wish because of this issue with his heart, but also because his, his dad's PTSD. And at the end of the story, he just decides, he's like, he basically just says, I'll be less those things. <laughs> There's not like a really clear defined mission for like what, where he would go off in the future. It's just like, yeah, I, I've been a lot and now I'm going to be less. And like, that's not narratively satisfying in any way something else this what is if tony was horny for adventure huh what if the entire premise was tony's just very horny for adventure and then he realizes that he shouldn't be horny all the time <laughs> yeah like he said like if it was just like oh, i'll learn moderation or i'll only go on adventures that like save people or something but it's not even none of that is it's just literally him saying like yeah i'm gonna do good stuff now i'll be i'll be better but like how like it, it he doesn't acknowledge what he was doing that didn't work. He just sort of says he's going to change. Like that's not really, that's not character change. Having a character literally say, I'm going to change now is not, that's not what storytelling is. Like that's, I don't know. Uh, another minor quibble for me was just the fact that like Pepper is introduced in this really kind of dynamic way. And we're led to believe how she's like a very different writer than the other guy. But the narration mm-hmm. she does for her part of the story is not as completely indistinguishable from what the other guy wrote. Like, it's not any different. We're not led to believe that she would have any sort of different perspective on the on the goings-on. It's kind of sad. Yeah. I, I think it sort of falls into the not all writers for comic books actually understand how to write newspaper articles or other types of stories. Yeah, it seems like a weird... Like, I just think it was just a strange... like narrative device to use if you're not gonna do anything with it like i almost think that you could just you could have just left the narrative captions gone when that guy died and then just now we're seeing a story 
straight up, but then they actually bring back, oh, well, this is what she's writing about the invention that they're on. I was like, but it sounds just like the dude. Like, they're not they're the same person. Not even like, oh, this is a house style. It's just like, no, this is, she's no different. It, it, she, it doesn't matter. They're interchangeable. Or like another good premise I could have worked was, hey, Tony, I understand you've got this new girlfriend, Nefaria, who you're bringing along. I'm not a fan of her. And Tony's like, oh, are you just jealous, Pepper? And then you have that as a dynamic between them where it's, She's not necessarily attracted to Tony, but it's something where she realizes that he's making bad choices because he's a horn dog. And there would be a better like there are so many better dimensions that you could have done for this. But Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I almost think I would have more I would have more appreciated like an in media res relationship for Tony and Pepper, like a working relationship, I mean. Uh, versus mm-hmm. having a whole other writer get killed so she can get introduced, but ultimately be the same thing, except that she's a damsel in distress. Comics, they're <laughs> awesome. So, uh, the question that we have been asking everybody is if you had the chance to like pitch for another character for a noir Marvel story, who would it be? Uh, I mean. I think like if I were to do a Marvel noir story, I would do something like it sounds like a bad way to pitch something, but I would probably do something way more typical or traditional, like take a street level character, you know, who already sort of fits mm-hmm. that milieu, like Daredevil or someone, and then just tell a really cool stripped down crime story that uses them as the hero. Like you know, like I think the fact that they all of these stories try so hard to like create an entire new reality where it's like the forties kinda and all this extra stuff is like you're doing way too much like you don't it doesn't even like you don't even have to literally set these in the 40s like to tell a noir story you know what i mean but even if you were going to do that mm-hmm. even if that was the whole hook i would i would not try to have uh 12 different books that all exist in the same world with like weird minor connections and references i would just pick a character oh no there, there are zero connections in these like there's two versions of noir wolverine in this universe Oh, wow. Because there's one of the X-Men and there's one in Wolverine Noir. Okay, I did not realize that. Well, that's good. Yeah, like there's no, there is no crossover as far as what I've read. I haven't read Spider-Man Eyes Without a Face at this point, but I'd be surprised. And it, it seems like a bit of a waste because doing at least something where they're in a connected world or they're at, there's at least some background recurring characters would be nice. But, like, everything is really strangely segmented. None of the stories really take place at the exact same time. A few of them give their years, but they're also all, except for Iron Man Noir, set in different parts of New York. So Yeah, there, I, I think that I would pick something, you know, like, I, I think Daredevil like was someone who, like, I would, I would want to work with. Um, because it's... it's... <laughs> there was a Daredevil Noir, and it was not good. Oh, no, I mean, I'm not surprised. Like, it, it does not... Yeah, yeah. Uh, like when they originally came out, I remember reading most of these, but like they're all just kind of jumbled in my head. And uh, I mean, like Iron Man would be fun or I mean, I'm sorry. Um, I mean, even doing this, even doing Iron Man, but just not like this would be exciting. You know what I mean? Uh, we literally had four pitches that were four or five pitches that were better than the one we actually got. Yeah, I think I think it all kind of boils down to if you're going to have a noir line where you're re, you know, re-envisioning famous Marvel products and, and franchises within within the noir context, you actually have to sort of treat the genre like a real thing and not just sort of like a 
like an Instagram filter you're putting over your story. Yeah. Or, or if you, or if you discover that some of them don't fit noir very well, but are more pulpy or something like even like the, like the first wave comic from a a little while ago that DC did that Brian Azzarello wrote where it's like the spirit and like all these, uh, all those characters sort of like existing together in like a a semi real world scenario. Like that was like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is like pulps, but not really. And kind of fixing it to, to license characters. This is exciting. This isn't even that. It literally is just like, it, you know, it, like I said before, it feels like at the first draft of a pitch that someone, instead of saying, hey, let's revise this, was like, yeah, go write that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't put too much thought into this. We got to get this yeah. out. Yep. Yeah. One thing that just came to mind as I like stared over my bookshelf is a Thunderbolts noir, where it's like all these various villains and rough types who are in a noir story, you get to do interesting takes on them and like a bunch of convicts having to figure something out, like a murder that they're all accused of sort of like a reverse perspective of, I think it's M the one about like the child murder. Oh yeah. That'd be really cool. I mean, I think the Thunderbolts uh, core premise is so good that like you could, you can really, uh, you can really extract it and put it in any kind of setting and have, you know, pretty exciting results. Um, or even mm-hmm. like, I mean, this is even more left field, but like runaways or something, you know what I mean? Like showing like a noir, like, you know, fucked up cityscape from like a, a runaway child's perspective. But like, you know, a runaway in the forties would be like very different than like now in LA with superpowers and stuff. So, yeah. Um, and like they're tied, they're tied to the mob instead of like super. Yeah. They find their parents are like, are actual like regular ass criminals and stuff. That'd be pretty cool. Mm hmm. We had uh, another person suggest that, like, there are so many good options, and I don't know. I, I think that it could be a cool way to launch some careers, get some different artists in there, and like mix up what you're producing. But well, I, think, I, 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 I don't know. Been, I think it would have been cool if you used this to like, uh, to have creators have fun with like lesser characters, like rather than just like all the big names in a noir con like Spider-Man noir. Like that's like, like the last thing I would like, I would want to do, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that was one of the mm-hmm. first ones that was announced. And that, I remember thinking like, well, none of these are really going to be very good. Then, Like they're just, they're not, yeah. I think you should, you would want to stick to the characters and concepts and mythologies that lend themselves the most to, uh, what makes noir something that people like to read, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for coming on this episode. I appreciate your, uh, <laughs> basically your vantage, your, uh, angles that you're coming at, especially as a person who's familiar with film as well as oh, noir. Course, where can people, where, oh, no, so sorry, what did you. you say? Uh, where can people find you? Online? Uh, well, I, I'm on Twitter, uh, at all new Dom. Uh, that's probably the, like the main place to find me and like any of my writing I always share on there and stuff. So. Uh, if you want to keep up with anything I do, that's probably the spot to do it at. Awesome. Uh, we'll make sure to check out Dom's work. It is very good. He's one of the film critics who I regularly review or <laughs> who I regularly read. My normal podcast co-host Devin can be found on Twitter at, at Fredo Fett. That's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. Uh, MultiversalQ.com is our website. Uh, you can go there for the image gallery that will go up with this. You can also check out all of our other Marvel Noir episodes. 
as part of this Marvel Noir month mistake that I have engaged in. Uh, Wednesday, we have a episode that I recorded with Jeffrey Golden uh, from Devastator Press talking about Punisher Noir, and that comic has a lot of problems. And then coming up next weekend, uh, we should be having uh, X-Men Noir Mark of Cain. Uh, Also, what went up today was the uh, New Exiles coverage. It's Bad Shrek, more or less, written by Chris Claremont, including a guy wanting to fuck a dragon (laughs) really bad. And... uh, Yeah, we've also got our Spider-Man Noir, and I'm working with Shannon Strucci to get a uh, discussion on some of uh, cinematic film noir and that sort of thing as another way of discussing it and like what noir is. So that should be good. I forgot to say, I am Luke. I am the normal host of the show. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at at Coltrick. That's K-O-L-T-E at at Coltrick. Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. And I am also at Luke L-E-K-E-H-E-R-R.com. We're going to be doing a appearance at Columbus Podfest. That is going to be coming up in May. Uh, still trying to define exactly what we're going to be doing, but start looking at maybe if you're in the Ohio area, planning on coming down for that week, and I believe it's the weekend of May 10th. Uh, we also have a Patreon where for as little as $1 a month, you get early episodes of our spinoff podcast, Old, uh, where you get episodes a week early. Devin and I recorded a bonus piece that's going to be going up probably Monday or Tuesday. And I think that is about it. Thank you for listening, uh, Dom. Thank you again for coming on. Of course. Thank you. And we will see you on the other episode that came up today and tomorrow and on wednesday until then this one's for hank